Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 109 of the SLS Cast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, not only is it the first episode, official episode of 2015, but it is also the centered triangular number episode of the SLS Cast. Because in mathematics, 109 is a centered triangular number. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is. We'll have to get my buddy Rob on here one day. Is is he like a geometrical, a geometry aficionado? Well, he's actually, actually, it's not that he's into geometry. He He's actually into um, Triangles? geology, and it's a very specific part of geology, but it's it's all engineering related. That being said, he has to take things like physics and all sorts of crazy calculus bullshit and everything. Um, so he would probably know what a centered triangular number is. Um, I, Matt, do not. <laughs> and I, Tim, sure as hell do not. Right on. Um, well, before we get any further um, and, and talk about our breaks and all that wonderful fun stuff... Um, I also understand that there is some incoming news of the weird for me, but uh, <clears throat> for me, not by me, but for me. I, I do want to make sure that we send a big, huge, super duper thanks to our friends over at We Are Not Here to Please You for letting us do a fantastic crossover episode. And also uh, to Matt and Tim of the SLS cast for providing such wonderful and heartfelt and heartwarming holiday stories. And then, of course, <laughs> Johnny White Trash and the Midnight Movie Nights, Miranda and the Kitty, for also doing some great bumps for us for the holidays. And we are exceptionally grateful to all of them and all of our podcast friends. So I wanted to make sure we started off the new year right with proper mentions for, so the people will... Search them and be like, wait, who are these people that they're talking about? Which is entirely possible with our three or four listeners that are not them that listen to the show. So. And I do have a bit of a, a, a little announcement to make myself, if that's all right. Oh, yes. Yes. The, the government of North Korea has cleared you for this information, sir? They have. The government of North Korea and... Uh, and Sony Pictures has cleared me to say this information, and I have to say uh, I, I, I am I am proud to admit that I have been working for Sony Pictures for the past seven months uh, since July. Has it been seven months? It's been about seven months, I think. On... Yes, this would be this would be pretty much seven months right here. Well, no, I guess this would be really and truly about six months right. Yeah, here. well, I guess January eighth will, will be seven months. So just about seven months, I've been working at Sony, and um, yeah, so if you ever wondered why I wasn't really talking about a lot of Sony movies, that's because I didn't know if I was supposed to or not, and yet I actually can. I got the all clear. Uh, so I that and I'm actually, uh, you know, legally blound. I'm legally blound. I am legally bound <laughs> <laughs> to divulge that information upon our favorite listener. 
Which is yes, you. And you listening and right that's now. That's right. It, and that, in the interest of full disclosure, um, you were temporary up until now, correct? Yes. Okay, which is why we're now making the announcement. It's not that we were trying to hide anything for the past seven months, but temporary versus full uh, employment is definitely uh, a different animal. So uh, definitely we are all about full disclosure here. Indeed. And being honest. Yes. Seven months later. <laughs> I was the second gunman on the grassy knoll. Um, we're being honest, right? Yes. So, Too uh, soon? I, I guess, how was your, your break? I haven't talked to you for... A, well, I mean, we, we did have an episode last week, but maybe in some <laughs> weird Twilight Zone, you know, stuff going on, maybe I didn't speak to you. I haven't spoken to you for like three weeks. Yes, and what a delightful three weeks it was. <laughs> no, I'm oh. just kidding. Um, I, I mean, it, it's nice to not have to... Come, come to the grind. You know, sometimes you just don't feel like doing all the extra stuff. But uh, so the three weeks off was definitely very nice. Um, mainly, I just did a lot of hanging out with the family and keeping it quiet and trying to uh, recover from the hemorrhaging wallet that is the Christmas holiday season. So. Uh, now that that's all over and we're back to the old grindstone and school starts for me next week. Um, so the sound of jingling isn't that of bells, but it's of the three cents that you currently have in your wallet? Actually, that would be two cents. Here's my two cents, and by God, it's all I have. Um, yeah, no, I just, just, just really, you know, really trying to make sure to... Get things ready. We got a lot of big plans coming up. We're moving here in a few months and um, got uh, school trying to wrap up for one part to go move down to Sam Houston and everything. And, um, you know, it's just really kind of a busy time. But enough about me and my boring family holidays. What, uh, what, what all did you do, sir? Ooh, I, I did a lot. Uh, a lot more than what I'm actually used to doing during the holidays. So at Sony, they graciously gave us a good, fat piece of time off, uh, which would be like uh, about two weeks off of work. Uh, since I'm a temp, that would be unpaid time off. So maybe not that gracious, but whatever. Uh, so we went to, girlfriend and I, we went to, we spent Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, uh, in Santa Cruz, their family has a beach house there. Then we headed up to Sacramento, which is a few hour, a couple hour drive, uh, where her uh, her old high school and junior high and elementary school friends are. Believe it or not, she still has good friends that she has known since they were in elementary school. That right there just blows my mind because I don't have any. But. We went and hung out with them and did some, you know, uh, uh, grandparent stuff and had a good time. We came back and we were in L.A. for a few more days. And then we went off to Palm Springs for a wedding and for uh, the New Year's. So I got to say, man, Palm Springs is absolutely beautiful. I mean, on top of the hiking, on top of the great winter weather that they have there granted in the summertime it does get up to 115 degrees uh there's a reason why they have carports and 
and and parking spot covers so your dashboard does not melt. Um, but despite the great weather in December and January, uh, despite the hiking, the great nature trails and walks and mountains and whatnot that you can climb upon, um, in Joshua Tree, which is just about a good 45 minute to an hour drive uh, drive we east east drive east it's to the east of 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 palm springs and that's you know that in itself was beautiful we hiked mount ryan which is great there was snow there which blew my mind there was snow in uh, and i want to say joffrey's tree but i i just said it and i forgot it david's tree philip's tree joseph's tree matt's tree Jeremy's tree, Jeremy's tree, Joshua tree, in Joshua tree, there we go, had a little brain whoopsie doodle right there, but there is a tram that you can take while you're in Palm Springs that takes you up, 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 Mount San Jacinto, and yes, there is a famous chance, my mouth has not yet calibrated back to recording, so I do apologize for the lack of well-oiled, jostled joints that are rather stiff right now. That is my excuse. But you can take this tram up to Mount San Jacinto, which there's a famous San Jacinto a monument in Houston. And you go up there, and you and you go thousands of feet up in, up in elevation, and there is snow there that you can actually play in. You can go sledding. It is, to me at least, that is the equivalent to a winter wonderland. And it, it's fantastic. I implore everybody... If you are in the Los Angeles area, or if you plan on traveling to the Los Angeles area, or even to the western portion of Arizona, do check out Joshua Tree. It's a beautiful national park. Um, But then also check out Palm Springs and go check out Mount San Jacinto. It's really beautiful, really beautiful. So uh, personally, I had a great uh, holiday time off. So yeah. Yeah, have you ever been to Palm Springs uh, during your journeys to the West Coast? Hmm. <clears throat> Not that I recall. Oh. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, I uh, honestly I cannot think of a time that I had my my extensive travels have brought me to Palm Springs. Um. No, no, I, I have not been. Have you? Sounds lovely, though. <laughs> it is very lovely. Uh, yeah, but you've been to the desert, right? Like the Mojave Desert or any of the surrounding desert areas? Yes. Is, is, isn't that otherwise known as Eastern California? Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, technically I, Los I, Angeles, but without all the houses and rich people. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah, but I thought you lived in West Los Angeles. I do, yes. But uh, technically, Los Angeles is a oh, desert. Oh, come though. on. I was trying to give you a hard time saying you lived in the poor section. Oh, I do. <sighs> I was just We're gonna kind have of to looking get this, past We're going to land this plane. The plane is flying too high for Tim. Really? I, d- I don't hear a plane. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Jeez. Uh, Man. Right. Well, yeah. So if you we'll think I'm plane. weird, I do have a video for you to check out if you would like to scope it out right now. 
<laughs> sure, sure, sure. Are, are we going to be playing this video, at least audio or something, for our friends at home? Uh, yes, the, that is the plan. Through the magic of, through the magic of editing? If I'm able to, that will be the plan, for sure. Okay. All right, well, I am, I am clicking the link. Catcopter. Dutch artist turns his dead pet into a helicopter. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is hilarious. Okay, I saw a picture of this on Reddit um, over the break. I did not see this video. I just saw the picture. And, you know, it's kind of funny because here it is flying in. This is why I don't understand art. Okay. There are... I, I certainly can grant you that, that art may take many forms. And that art... Uh, while one person may not understand what they see, someone else may garner some kind of uh, profound effect from what they are witnessing. And as a result, I, I do my level best to not judge art when I find it to be weird. But turning a cat into a fucking drone. I'm really having a hard time uh, saying this is art in any way, shape, or form. Now, is it something weird? Is it just kind of a hobby and or maybe a conversation piece? I'm totally willing to grant you that. And can artists make something like that just because, you know, their sense of humor is weird or just they would think it's kind of funny to create said conversation piece? Then sure. But he's doing it in an art gallery, and there's lots of people there. And I don't think those people are there for the sake of the art. I think they're there to see a stuffed cat fly. And it's weird. But how is it assembled, Matt? D describe what you are seeing to our listener, our favorite it's listener. It's like someone took... <laughs> he's, like, sprawled out. Like, okay, think... Think bear rug, a bear skin rug or a tiger skin rug on the floor, you know, from any movie or cartoon or anything you've ever seen in that regard. And that's what he looks like. This thing has been flat, straight, and then from his paws emanate the uh, blades of the drone motors or whatever. And then he just kind of sits there and hovers. Uh,. And then he's got like this very, interestingly for a cat that's flying in a very unnatural position, the cat has a very placid look on its face. So good taxidermy work, I, you know, he, I'll, I'll give it that. But it's weird. In, in speaking of weird art, while we were in Palm Springs, uh, Chelsea came across uh, an article which was like, oh, things to do while you're in Palm Springs. And one of them is to go to this guy's house where he has an exhibit called Robo Lights, which he has been putting together and assembling uh, uh, since like 1986 or whatever. So you go to this very lovely Palm Springs neighborhood where, for those of you who don't know what Palm Springs is, it's a very, it's a neighborhood that's still, that's trapped in time. And that time is the 1950s, 40s, 1950s, and early, early 1960s. And most of the houses you see there, probably about 95% of the houses, are the really retro-modern, like, Brady Bunch-looking type of houses. You know, just kind of paint a picture. 
And this one guy, I think he's a Middle Eastern guy. Really, I don't know where he's from, but he has what he calls Robolite. So it's Christmas themed, um, and it's it's a stationary exhibit. And you actually walk through this guy's backyard. He has four acres of land, and he has just has all this stuff. And it is one of the most unsettling Christmas light walkthroughs you will ever do. And uh, for those of you that do follow me on Twitter, uh, I will post. Some of these pictures, uh, probably, I would think maybe later on, uh, after uh, after this recording, or by the time you listen to this recording, uh, I should have them on my uh, Twitter account, and then probably on the SLS uh, Cast Twitter account as well. Um, but you walk through it, and you see like all, and what he does is he takes all these parts, all this like junk that people like donate to him, or junk he finds in like trash heaps, or you know at, at waste or, or landfills or whatever, and he makes stuff out of it. Uh, it. It's hard to explain. Like I'm talking about like big mech warrior robot looking things, but it has like a clown head on top, like a legitimate really creepy clown face from. You know the night, like a just a really creepy 1940s super retro looking clown. Uh, you know the the kind that kills you <laughs> in your sleep. That's the, I mean that's the kind of stuff that he makes. I mean he the nightmares the nightmares that you have after you've smoked a lot of really good weed or a lot of really bad weed. It comes to life when you walk through robot lights. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how I feel about art. Also, like it's super interesting, it's super intricate, and actually I do appreciate it quite a bit. Though I wasn't stoned, wish I was though. Um, it it just kind of boggles my mind, you know, just boggles my mind. Art, what is art? So, right on. Yes. So yeah, well. um... That was definitely weird. I, I am looking through our email right now, uh, and it looks like we picked up a new follower, uh-huh. um, which I, I, I do have to say that I, I really like the name of this follower. Uh, it's called Amish Baby Machine, and I really like the juxtaposition of anything Amish on such a technologically advanced platform. And, uh, yes, this is at Amish B Machine is the tag. And apparently they are an American pop culture comedy podcast, and they're following us now. They are following the SLS cast. Cool. So how exciting is that? That that was there. Um, And uh, there are people... Someone actually listened to our crossover. Now, I'm pretty sure that's because they listened to the We Are Not Here to Please You uh, side of it. <laughs> um, but there was people, there was a young lady by the name of Mel W. at Caper Girl Mel. And she apparently says, uh, finally listen to Go Scrooge Yourself on Sex Mountain, part one. This was from the 31st of December. And she says, I'm on R2 side on Scrooge Choice. Love me some Muppets. So we, there we were, truly getting through to the good, uh, to the important issues for the holiday season. Even if we were, in fact, piggybacking on another show, we got through. <laughs> that's, that's right. 
<clears throat> so yes, I would like to point out that uh, Mel has not followed us yet. So maybe she just likes we are not here to please you and put up with the fact that we were on their show. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, and that's okay too. <laughs> so is, is that you saying, Mel? Please follow us. Yes, yes, I'd like Mel to become a special listener. <laughs> but is she so the special Then we could have more than one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. But I'm also trying to make it a point that I, I, have, I have checked the email so that, you know, replies in six weeks or less comes true. <sighs> anyway. So, now that we've uh, killed... Any hope, uh, I mean, we, we've definitely come up with a nice gap for not having a special third segment this week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> should we go ahead and maybe talk about something for real? <laughs> Could that be news? I think it should be the news. What do you think? That sounds delicious. Well, then let's do it, folks. Here we go. It is, for the first time in 2015, coming to you 52 more times. Well, really, 51. Ah, fuck it. I don't know where we are anymore. It's the news! The news. The news. The news. News, Yay. news. You saw me reading on the internet. The news. Without a tune in my heart. And a thong. <laughs> Alright. So, <clears throat> because we still have approximately 94 more episodes before Tim can do the news first... I'm going to go ahead and do start off my news. Now, um, my news is going to be rather focused. So as we were going into the holiday season, there was uh, we had we had talked about the hack at Sony and everything like that. Well, of course, over the over the course of our break, more things had come out about the hack, more things had come out in regards to the interview itself. The interview itself came out. Um, and so we have all of these wonderful things. So, um, due to uh, me looking at some stuff that happened after the interview came out, and thanks to Reddit and specifically the user CS Mastermind at Reddit. Um, so, for those of you who are Redditors, that's going to be a slash u slash CS Mastermind. Um, we have a sourced timeline for things that have happened um going all the way back to uh, november 24th so i'm just going to as quickly as i can this will be the only piece of news that i have it's just to kind of give you a very factual representation of what happened going uh from basically what really happened and when leading up to and through the release of the interview Back on November 24th, there was the first public notification of the hack, and it actually came to Reddit. Um, there was a flurry of reporting. It was reported within an hour to Deadline Hollywood that uh, Sony had sent a memo to all employees warning of the hack. And then, of course, it gets to the general news media. 
then you follow up to November 26th. Uh, three movies leak online. FBI begins investigating the breach. BBC asks North Korea if they were responsible. They respond, wait and see. December 1st is the initial data leak. And again, just like before, we're not going to tell you where that stuff is. If you're a sleazeball, you'll find it on your own. Um, but it does contain 26 gig of files, uh, social security numbers, names, contact details, phone numbers, dates of birth, uh, employee benefits, compensation details, dental plans, um, passport information, and all this wonderful kind of stuff. Um, come December 3rd, there is a second data leak. Now, this one doesn't generate as much press, but it... Uh, has a lot more dangerous information full security certificate information internal external account details um, plain text passwords for systems such as sony's youtube page and ups accounts moving on the next day december 4th fbi issues a confidential flash warning to the security departments of large american companies warning about new malware called Destover backdoor um, People start to analyze the code, and they, it is then learned that it was created on a computer using the Korean language and included pictures with Sony's name written on a tombstone, meaning that it was a targeted attack. Uh, it was also learned how to detect the command and control modules of the code. Uh, initially, it's just a virus, but of course, it turns out to be a lot more serious than that uh december 7th is a third data leak and this is the one that contains all sony pictures financial information bloomberg actually reports that the initial data breach occurred at a hotel in thailand where a sony executive was staying uh, this is likely the source of the inside information about sony's network again all of this stuff is sourced i encourage you to go to reddit.com and you can go and pull pull up user cs mastermind for all of this information <clears throat> december 10th um December 8th has another leak. December 10th has another leak. Uh, the key thing to note about the December 8th leak is that the security certificates had a password of password. Um, so not a good idea. Uh, December 10th, another leak occurs uh, where they believe this one is a likely genuine leak because the one in December 8th uh, there is some confusion as to whether or not that was a genuine leak or some other hacker who was just trying to glob onto everything else that was happening. Um, moving forward, uh, by December 13th, when you have uh, an authentic, another authentic leak, IT workers at Sony began anonymously talking to the press. Um, and they are not painting a very good picture of Sony at that point. December 16th, after all of the articles, the speculation and everything, um, Sony activates their cybercrime insurance, provides them with $65 million in coverage, and they now cancel, the, they start to cancel promotion for the interview. Uh, December 17th, a group of individuals makes threats of violence at U.S. movie theaters, which show the interview. Um, these are different in style, content, and tone than all communications from the actual hacker. They seem obviously fake, created by pranksters to take advantage of the tense situation. Regardless, almost every theater chain pulls the movie from their schedule. 
Um, in a show of incredibly lazy journalism, many media outlets led by Wired published stories stating that North Korea was not behind any of the hacking. These mix, to, uh, me, these mix together the details of several attacks and treat all leaks, both credible and not, as coming from the same actor. At the same time, more respectable media outlets like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post published stories stating that North Korea is, quote, almost certainly, unquote, behind the attack and cite a litany of security professionals and confidential government sources. December 18th, Sony cancels the interview. They also quietly cancel Pyongyang, another comedy starring Steve Carell. Produced by company New Regency and directed by Gore Verbinski, the story is based on a graphic novel and follows a Westerner that is accused of espionage in North Korea. December 19th, the FBI firmly places the blame on North Korea. And so we go. Now, in response to that, there were theater chains that were going to go ahead and start showing Team America, which, as we all know, came out about 12 years ago and heavily parodies uh, Kim Jong-un's father, Kim Jong-il. Everyone remembers, I'm so ronry, and they laugh. Um, Paramount, however, and this comes to us from thedailybeast.com, Paramount bans showing Team America. Ultimately, uh, uh, just apparently everybody was running scared at this point. President Obama steps up and says he believes that Sony made a mistake. Now, you have to remember, folks, that Sony, while is a very big company and definitely has offices and uh and other organizations, you know, it's a parent company for other organizations that are all based in the United States. Sony itself is based out of Japan. And Japan is a hell of a lot closer to North Korea than we are. And so their thinking on a lot of different things is based on Sony as a whole, not just Sony uh, pictures here based out of the States. That being said, they begin to work with the government and find avenues for the for a cyber release of the interview they also find about 300 i believe the exact number was 303 movie theaters to do that uh, and show it so the movie ends up making well over a million dollars in the movie theaters which when you think that it's only on 300 screens uh, that's actually a lot of money But, because of the online ways of viewing it, I personally watched it on YouTube, it made $15 million just after, uh, within three days of its release on Christmas. So that's not bad. Um, Unfortunately, the interview was also pirated about as much (laughs) as it was legally purchased, which means... If they had been able to open it to places like Canada and stuff, um, they might have gotten $30 million out of it, which isn't bad considering this movie, I believe, was $40 million on its budget. Um, The only other downside to the fact that it was pirated as much as it was viewed legally is that from Soompi.com, courtesy of Kitty underscore Days, Yoon Mi Rae to take legal action against Sony Pictures for using her song in the interview without permission. Um, it turns out that 
Yunmi Ray revealed to that the Hollywood film, the interview, used her song without permission, that she will be taking legal action. Uh, her agency, Feel Good Music, said on December 26th that there were initial discussions for using Payday in the movie, but at some point the discussion ceased, and we assumed that it would not follow. However, after the movie released, we learned that the, con- that the track had been used without permission, legal procedure, or contracts. Uh, and I, I apologize there. Said on December 28th that, quote... There were initial discussions, and then uh, ending the quote beyond legal procedure or contracts. They added, quote, we will be taking legal action against Sony Pictures as well as DFSB, the agency that has had been carrying out the discussion regarding the use of the track, end quote. So, it seems that after all is said and done, it was pretty much... Business as usual. I know that uh, my dad, who who was with me, we watched it all here at the house. Um, he felt that it was probably like the greatest marketing ploy in the history of anything. And I was like, yeah, well, I happen to know uh, someone who was personally affected by this. <laughs> and I can guarantee you this was not a marketing ploy. But the... The interview showed that there is actually traction available for online purchases of movies when they come out. Dan Data is in a theater. Um, we've learned that we can stand up to people no matter who they think they are. And um, I think there's also been a lot of good attention brought to hacking. And it's not just about the big bad corporation anymore. It's about anything that the people want it to be about. So, Tim, after my exhaustive long time, you know, talking, do you have anything to add? Anything that you want to say, not say, correct me on, whatever? Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a very uh, nice overview. Uh, I, I guess I just, since I am somebody that has been personally affected, or one of the many people that have been personally affected by this crime, those of you that are listening to our show right now, be careful of tabloids being affected by something like this firsthand and then going off and then reading what like Variety or The Guardian or all these tabloid-esque news articles are saying about something that I was involved in and reading about how wrong they are. It kind of goes to show that this happens all the time, uh, not just with entertainment, but politics, everything, news in general, you know, the tabloid press will make it into a tabloid piece. So I just ask you, uh, if you're listening to the show, just be careful about what you read and take a lot of the tabloid shit with a grain of salt and make your own assumptions and read The Hollywood Reporter, read the news itself, read what people are actually reporting and not opinionating on. So, yeah, that's just all I got to say about that. If you'll ever notice... Very rarely does any of our news articles, I, if I had to give it a percentage, I'd like to say like 2%, um, will something that we talk about come from a place like E or uh, TMZ or something stupid like that. <clears throat> um, those are the kind of tabloid things that we do our best to avoid. And as Tim noted... There is a very big reason for that. It's not to say that there aren't fun things to read and that, you know, sometimes you just want to follow something or something leads you down that 
aisle. But if you're ever reading something from there and you find yourself outraged or you find yourself, well, man, you should probably just do a separate search and maybe pull from a different provider of news. So, in speaking of E, <laughs> um, on this is a piece. Of, so we, I've been in the dark with movie news for the past three weeks. I got rid of a lot of movie uh, uh, Facebook pages, so I don't have it popping up on my phone. And I made it. I actively uh, stayed away from my computer and uh, magazines, newspapers, and stuff. So Matt sent me this one article, which he came across on E Online. Yes, the, web, the very website Matt told you to be careful about. That we do not really read anything from. Well, this is this is that two percent right here. This can be the two percent exactly. Right? This this is the two percent. <laughs> uh, but it's a very it's it's a very interesting two percent. This pertains to Matt, uh, not Matt Singer. Uh, Brian Singer, the director of the X-Men films and Jack the Giant Slayer and uh, Superman Returns. And if you recall, over the past, uh, during, I guess, uh, 2014, I forget exactly when this happened. It's been, it, it feels like it's been going on for a year, but I think it's been a little less than a year, maybe about eight months or so, eight, nine months. Um, he's been accused of of molesting, raping, uh, a boy, a guy. At the time, he was he was more of a boy than a man, um, younger man, I guess. And all these other people have come out and with allegations that they too have been molested or raped or whatever by Brian Singer or a number of uh, a, a number of these other Hollywood producers and whatnot that are, I guess, homosexual. Uh, I don't know if that's a for sure thing or not, but that's what. Uh, the news was reporting, or that, that's what the allegations uh, were saying. Uh, but in this eonline.com article, the title of it is Man Who Accused Brian Singer of Sexually Abusing Him as a Teenager Indicted on Federal Fraud Charges. This is written by Mike Vulpo. And it says this. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Michael Francis Egan III allegedly engaged in a fraudulent investment scheme by inducing his victims to enter into various fictitious business and investment contacts. In addition, Egan allegedly promised that he would invest in projects like Halloween-themed attractions and TV shows. In reality, he did not invest victims' money as promised. For example... The indictment alleges that Egan forged brokerage account statements to reflect fraudulent business practices when, in reality, those accounts had no money or a fraction of the purported amount, according to the U.S. Attorney. The legal act lasted from August 2007 to February 2012. If convicted, Egan faces a maximum of 20 years in prison and a $5 million fine for the securities fraud count in a 20-year prison term and $250,000 fine for the wire fraud account. Egan first made headlines when he accused Singer of sexually abusing him as a 17-year-old back in 1999. And yada 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 So yeah, that happened. Matt, comments, concerns, grievances? No, I just, I knew that we had wanted to follow up with you know, the latest developments, and it sounds like 
Someone has finally gotten their just desserts. Exactly. And what a delicious just dessert that was. Uh, next article is from thehollywoodreporter.com entitled, The Interview. Man demands refund after buying $650 in tickets. <laughs> oh, and it gets better than that. This is written by Ryan Gajewski. Gajewski. That's right. Gajewski. Kim Jong-un apparently isn't the only person who's not a big fan of the interview at the moment. Ohio resident Jason Best has demanded a refund from a movie theater after spending $650 on tickets for the controversial Seth Rogen film. According to WCPO, Best purchased 50 tickets for the film screening at Esquire Theater in Clifton, Ohio. He hoped to resell the tickets online and take advantage of the fact that it was the only area theater showing the film, following Sony having pulled a wide release in response to threats from hackers. Quote, I saw all the hype about the interview on December 23rd and thought, hey, folks are, are selling these tickets in other cities and it seems like that's the thing to do right now. So why not give it a shot to see how it goes? End quote, Best said. However... After Best bought the bulk amount of tickets, Sony announced that prior to the limited theatrical release, it was making the comedy available online via Google Play, YouTube, and Xbox. It goes on to say that because of that, the demand for those tickets was not there. And Best didn't like that. He said, quote, I thought I'd get my money back because the theater's website very clearly said that the tickets were refundable. But the theater... Sells tickets through movietickets.com, this is not a quote uh, by Best, which states on its site that no refunds are allowed for special events. Esquire considered the interview screenings to be special events because the Clifton location was the only theater in the chain to carry the film. Theater manager Allison Duncan added that the theater was also refusing a refund because Best intended to scalp the tickets. Oh. What a moron. I'll tell you what, that definitely gets your justice porn boner just, you know, rising up high. You know, there's been a lot of cause for justice porn boners. <laughs> Past couple articles here. Um, <laughs> Would have to agree. Yeah, but why don't we keep on with the boner talk and go with the Screen Crush <laughs> article, the porn parody movie titles of 2014. Oh, wow. <laughs> Written by Matt Singer. Yes, uh, I, the following is a list of films that came out in 2014 that are porn parody uh, parodies of of movies that have that were released. Uh, I think most of them have already come out, or I'm sure maybe some haven't come out yet. But uh, here they are: <laughs> 22 Hump Street, Million Dollar Baby Arm, Big Hero Sex. <laughs> John Dick, Winter's Tale, as in, you know. See, they should have called John Wick. It should have been Dipping the Wick. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm just disappointed that they miss out, you know, John Dips his Wick or something. I mean, there is so much, There's you know, that, that's disappointing. So, I don't think anything ever is going to be as good as, like, Forrest Hump or Saving Ryan's Privates. But, I mean... Or Lord of the G-Strings? 
yeah, you know, there's gold, there's gold, and then there's just kind of like, really, come on. And I'm sorry. And then there's John Dick. <laughs> but Matt, you have to keep in mind these are porn movie titles. I'm right. gonna buy you all these movies. <laughs> you heard it here first. Listen, <laughs> for like next Christmas, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put them like within your your kids' gifts, so you never know which gift is gonna pop out next. Oh, awesome! Pop out. That's good. <laughs> so okay, so John Dick, <clears throat> Winter's Tale, um, Thigh Origins, Jersey Boy on Boys. <laughs> okay, that one's pretty good. I, you know that one. That one's pretty good. You like that? Yeah. Was it the Jersey Boy or Boy on Boys part that you liked? I like just the combination there, Jersey Boy on Boys. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's good. Because in Jersey, there's Boy on Boys, then there's a Dawn of the Planet of the Babes, and there's mm. Ex Hodus Bods and Dinglings. <laughs> Come on, you made that last one up. <laughs> it's <laughs> this is how it's spelled: e x dash h o dash d u s. Nice bods and ding alings. So yes, you know they could make a, they should make like some kind of, um, porn thriller that's like nothing but double entendres and everything. Uh, and it'd be about a gay dude named Richard Whiskey, and that's just the name of the movie, Richard Whiskey. <laughs> Dick Whiskey. It's, you know, you, Dick you should. It should be like it's kind Dick of like liquor. yeah, it, whiskey is liquor. So you have Dick Liquor. Dick, that works. Would it, would it be like a badass western movie, or would it be like a hard? <laughs> I was 80s? kind of thinking western, but you know, you could also have be like a thriller, kind of like The Equalizer or something. You know, my name is Dick Whiskey. Richard, Richard Whiskey. Whiskey. Yeah, it's Richard Whiskey. Who would play him? I don't I don't know the porn field. I couldn't tell you. Is there is there someone uh, do you know of any good male porn actors? There's only one that I can think I can't even think of his name, but there's only one dude that comes to mind because back in my softcore porn you know, anything will work days when you're like, you know, 14, 15 and you're searching the Skinamax. Um, there was this one actor who was, he, he was this blonde dude with the ponytail and he was banging all the chicks uh, in all of this, uh, in all the softcore crap that was on Skinamax at the time. And that's the only porn guy I know of, you know, because... Who the hell keeps Ron track Jeremy? of their names? No, he's one of them. No, no. Oh, there you go. So I guess there's two. Yeah, there's two, but only one of which I know their names. So yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you would think that would just be a porn name, right? <laughs> so Exodus. And his first movie was like called Holes, and that's even worse. So you know, I just okay, all right. <sighs> Shia LaBeouf, your hole. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what I'm talking about. LaBuffing the hole. Uh, that could be the name of his memoirs. <laughs> LaBuffing the hole with Shia. Yeah, I am not famous anymore. Hashtag LaBuffing the hole. <laughs> uh, okay, so Exo does Bonds and Dinglings. Next you have... <laughs> Nonstop... And then in parentheses, banging. 
So, non-stop banging. Uh, the next one is the Prego movie. The next is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Lay. <laughs> That's pretty clever. Yes. And they also have here, and again, this is the Screen Crush uh, article that they have this listed. They uh, made a list of their own porn parody titles that require no editing whatsoever <laughs> of movies that came out in 2014. These include The Nut Job, <laughs> Bears, That Awkward Moment, Happy Ending, Endless Love, Mom's Night Out, Get On Up, Sex Tape, and The Giver. Eh, not as funny as... Non-stop banging or exodus, boz and dinglings. True. Or Jersey True. Boy on Boys. I think that would be Matt's. That's definitely my favorite title. Exactly. I've Our favorite listener it. out there should send a, <laughs> send Matt. You should send Matt fan Through mail. Tim, by way of Tim. By <laughs> fan mail of that poster for Jersey Boy on Boys. And he will put it up. I will make this vow. I will. I don't care. Chalk it up as a stunt. I will make this vow. If someone sends me that picture, I will take my picture with that poster and put it on Twitter. Yeah, and he will. I believe it. I will do it. I will do it. If someone sends me a poster of that Jersey Boy on Boy thing, I will take my picture with it and put it on Twitter. If there's anything I know about Matt, it's that he is a man of his word. He said that he was (laughs) going to graze the boob of Starbuck, and he did. That's right. So, okay, so uh, jumping to another screen crush. I'm article. almost wondering if I should go look up this movie poster now just to see what I have just gotten myself into. Yeah, there's probably a lot of dicks just <laughs> there. It's just probably a poster uh, full of dicks. Yes. Thus ensuring that I shall never, ever run for any kind of political office for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did you put up? Did Anthony Weiner, is he your campaign manager? What the shit's wrong with you, man? Uh, oh. Anyway. Lebuffing. Leboofing. Yes. That's right. Leboofing the hole with Matt. Guy Leboof. That's, that's going to be my campaign slogan. What? Leboofing the, the hole? hole? Yes, Leboofing the hole. All right. Uh, I think we've done enough damage to the news. Well, actually, hey, okay. We, we do, but I, there's, there's like two more things I just want to mention. Even... For a, it'll take 30 seconds. All right, ready, go. Okay. One being that Sylvester Stallone is going to be doing another Rambo movie. So after he makes Creed, uh, the next Rocky movie, pretty much, where he's going to be playing, obviously, an older Rocky uh, training or helping uh, Creed's grandson train to become a great boxer, he's going to be doing Rambo The Last Blood. Or I think it's Rambo Last Blood. One of those. So it's going to be the last Rambo movie I personally thoroughly enjoyed the last Rambo movie, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to this one, if it's as good. Hopefully it's not going to be like The Expendables. And actually good! So, uh, that'll be something to look forward to in the next couple years. And then lastly, right here, okay, so, X-Men Origins, or not X-Men Origins, but X-Men Days of Future Past came out uh, a year ago. A little less than a year ago. And uh, there's been talk that they were going to re-release it and do what they call a Rogue cut, where they put back in the 15-20 minutes worth of footage of Rogue that they cut out her whole subplot. And believe it or not, it was kind of an integral part of the movie that they uh, got rid of because the movie was already running pretty long. Well, this summer 2015, so this coming summer, you can expect a Rogue 
cut to be released simultaneously on Blu-ray as well as in the movie theaters. And uh, a good thing to look forward to, uh, those of you who bought X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, the current version on Blu-ray, you might have noticed that there aren't many supplemental features on it. Well, with this one, you can look forward to a lot of bonus features and commentaries. That's what the director and the producer and the studios are coming out and saying, that the Rogue Cut will feature it all. And I'm actually kind of a fan of the extended edition of movies, because um, when Matt and I went to go see the Anchor or Anchorman 2 two Decembers ago, two Christmases ago, we didn't care for it. Two months ago, I went back and watched the extended version of Anchorman 2 on that they have on Netflix, which comes out to be around two hours and 20 minutes long, and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. So maybe this will add a little something to Days of Future Past. I don't know. So look forward to it. It's summer of 2015. The Rogue Cut. And that is my news. Cool. What a ridiculous money grab. I know, we're supposed to be done with the news, but I really want to talk about this. This is terrible. Why are they... I mean, why? I mean, it's not like they didn't have the 15 minutes of footage. They cut it before they released the movie. So why not just put it back in, and when they released the movie last year... Like, when you were like, oh, hey, well, it, you know, if, if you bought the movie on Blu-ray already, I'm, like, thinking, oh, they're going to be nice to the people and, like, give them a download code or something. And you're like, nope, they're just going to add the special features to this one. So if you already paid to see the movie, and then you already went and bought the Blu-ray, fuck you, go buy another Blu-ray. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely agree with you to an extent, but I think... Oddly, well, not oddly enough, but there are a lot of people that would rather have or would be able that do want to actually go see an extended cut at the movie theater as well as own a separate extended cut with those special features, like a version of the movie that um, they spent more time working on, or excuse me, a version of, or not a version, but a release of the movie that they spent more time putting together than uh, what you see a lot of now where three months after a movie is released, you go to Walmart or Target or whatever, and they throw out a little single-disc Blu-ray or a little single-disc DVD, and the special features are usually, what, like a really shitty three-minute making-of featurette and a trailer. Well, see, those are the ones that are just on the DVD. The same ones that I've seen where they come out... Three months later, it, you can either get the yeah the piece of shit DVD that's you know just the movie and the little trailer or whatever. Sure. And then they've got the one that costs ten or fifteen dollars more. This is the Blu-ray with the bonus special features disc or all the extra special features and cool stuff like that. But I mean, it, I, it just this is even to me worse than the whole Lord of the Rings thing where every three and a half minutes they come out with a longer version of Lord of the Rings until you finally get to the 12 dish 12 blu-ray disc edition of the Lord of the Rings now including the casting sessions you know so you can watch the whole process from the beginning all the way to the end um it just seems like a terrible money grab and i can even kind of halfway understand a re-release uh, kind of I still don't agree with it, but I can at least kind of see the logic behind, you know, hey, go see it on the big screen so you can see it the way it was originally intended. But I don't know, man. It just seems kind of like a really shitty money grab to sit there and go, we had this footage the whole time, and we could have just given you an option to watch it either way when we originally released the Blu-ray. 
Because this wasn't one of those, they just waited 12 seconds and then put it out. I mean, it was like four or five months before the movie came out on Blu-ray because they were trying to take advantage of Christmas and stuff. So Right, but, but also marketing for a lot of these movies, I mean, it's kind of the same way. It's just on top of it, they're giving you another movie or they're giving you an extended movie. You look at... But that's just... You, that's well, you look at like, av- like Avatar... Like, they released uh, the regular version of Avatar, and then sometime later, then they re-released the... Or then they released, like, the extended version of Avatar. Well, that extended version of Avatar, it's just the movie. There's nothing else to it. You get to watch the movie in 3D. You can't watch it in 3D or 2D. And that's also another issue you'll find, is that whenever they do re-release, like, an extended version of a movie... um, you really you don't have that many options. So whenever so then whenever they do come out with, oh well, you know, guess what? We're gonna re-release it, but it's gonna be the 3D version. It's gonna be the version that you couldn't get before, so you have to shelve out another $25, $30. So I mean, I definitely agree with you, but it's also happening uh with with ev- well not everything else, but with all these big kind of blockbuster type of movies. I mean the same thing with Transformers. I mean I'm sure we'll be getting another version of Oh God! Could you imagine the unedited version of Transformers? AJ, you I would, know, I could have sworn I read somewhere that it was about four hours long. The original it's cut be like of Transformers. Cruel and unusual punishment. You could maybe put somebody to death with that. I yeah. think. Like you give them the option, we'll either let you, you know, kill yourself with like a lethal injection, or we'll make you watch Transformers. On repeat until you're willing to take the disc out and then try and slice your own wrists with the discs of the Transformers film. <laughs> anyway, all right. So we now that we've literally killed the n- news to the point that we have absolutely no third segment, which we didn't have one anyway because we were, you know, planning on having extra time to talk. Next week, since we don't have a third segment this week, next week we do have a third segment. We'll be back to normal on all that good stuff. And that's going to be a discussions piece. And it's coming to us from ScreenCrush.com. And again, courtesy of Matt Singer. Uh, The article is entitled, Split Decision, How Breaking Movies in Half is Ruining Hollywood Blockbusters. And this, of course, is a la... Twilight and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, and of course, most recently, the Hunger Games. Um, so we'll be discussing that delightful little article there. And so, without further ado, now that we have 12 minutes to go over four movies, it is, of course, So we got movies. We have four movies this week. We have The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, Unbroken, The Imitation Game, and of course, The Interview. So, Tim, where would you like to start? How about we start with a movie that I found to be, that I was actually pleasantly surprised with. Oh, so the Jersey Boy on Boys. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It had me singing on my way out of the theater. <laughs> uh, but unbroken, unbroken. All right. Now, this is the movie that literally says, "Back in my day, 
dot 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 how terrible it was and we were grateful no seriously there is an expression in regards to the people who lived and breathed world war ii uh it's something that we apply chiefly to americans as americans but as ostensibly it applies to all of the allied forces and in certain uh exceptional circumstances to people on the other side that were fighting then that we were fighting then and we called them the greatest generation and if you ever wondered why they're called the greatest generation just watch this fucking movie i mean jesus christ this is a kid who was kicked in the fucking teeth and said fuck you life uh <laughs> and yeah uh this is the uh, story of Louis Louis Zamperini, Olympic athlete, World War II veteran, POW, an all-around ass-kicker, and his story of basically um, being a little snot growing up to becoming a, a an Olympic athlete, and subsequently literally be, being shot down over the, uh, over the Pacific and his subsequent POW experiences. It is, uh, and, and just, I mean, this is a guy who literally says, never say die. I thought that the movie was really, was really good. The only, I mean, I, I, seriously, Angelina Jolie, I definitely, uh, she is, one of those people that is getting better and better, I think, personally, as she goes along. And if she, I know we had talked about uh, a few weeks back you know, her saying that she really wants to step behind the camera and pretty much just retire from acting and, and just do the directing. If this is any indication, I'd say she's probably making a good decision here. Um, is it perfect? No. And... I think that the only part, the only thing that this movie struggles with, for me, is that um, when we were doing Nightcrawler, we, we, we talked about Nightcrawler, and the biggest problem, and really not the problem, I mean, for whatever it was, our biggest problem with Nightcrawler was that Jake Gyllenhaal's character really didn't have any obstacles. It was just kind of like watching him breeze through... Uh, you know, his whole scenario to become the guy that he wanted to be. Now, this one is kind of the opposite side of the spectrum, where this guy, it literally just seems he is being crucified no matter what, and yet just completely breaks through. And while more or less, that is how it went down, of course, they take some liberties, and yes, it's a... I mean, but the guy seriously was a POW. He seriously did get shot down. He did have to survive you know, 47 days or whatever at sea adrift. So no one's disputing that this guy is as tough as nails and that he deserves every bit of recognition that he got while he was alive. Um, it just seemed like... It, it just seemed like it was a little too much of the... Uh, 
Like, like no, like he just never had a bad day, and I, and I, and I have to take exception to that because while he did overcome and he did persevere, and there clearly that's, I mean, you know, he he did end up dying earlier la- last year, but he was ninety seven, so clearly he makes it. You have to know that he struggled. He did have it was hard for him. It's not that yes, he didn't quit, and yes, he didn't give up. But to sit there and say he just looked right at him and spat in the eye and never gave a second thought to it. I really, I mean, a human being is more complicated than that. And I think that there should have been nuances, kind of like Jesus in the garden, for those of you who are familiar with religious references. Right before he gets arrested and goes to the whole thing and being crucified and all this stuff, Christ has a crisis of conscience and he doesn't want to do it. And he's like, he literally is asking if there's anybody else, please, but I, not me. And you don't see that here. This guy is just like, ah, fuck them. Take them all. And you know, John waning it up and everything. And it's good for a movie, but for someone who has such an extraordinary story, I think that they could have taken some time to really focus on that, to watch him struggle, to truly struggle, to try and not give up. To have to overcome his own self-doubt a little bit um, would have been more for me. So, all in all, I'm going to give this movie 4.25 stars. There you go, Tim. What do you got? Oh, that's that's good. So, I said earlier that I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie because this movie has been getting the shaft by a lot of critics. They are complaining, the critics are complaining about the various scenes of torture and violence and how graphic this and emotional this movie can really be and get. And I just want to say, fuck you to every single one of you. If that is your sole complaint about this movie, that shit is ridiculous. Now, like what Matt said, this movie is not perfect. It's a really good movie. Angelina Jolie, you can tell that she was invested in this story all the way through. You can tell that she had an emotional connection with what was going on with the character. She knew exactly what she was doing. This was her first movie, so there were a couple hiccups. Some of it, you know, might have been her fault. Some of it might not have been. Uh, I don't know. But when it comes down to it, this is a very unique story because the man that this biopic is about was alive during the making of this film. It is very unusual for when you're making a biopic, the person that it's about is still alive to actually be a consultant on the movie. So what you are seeing is pretty damn close to what actually happened. And many of the complaints that Matt uh, mentioned, I definitely agree with. There there are definitely moments and moments of humanity that I think were, were... for sure, missing from this movie. But the movie needed to have that torture. It needed to have the graphic sense of, uh, of, like, of like, he was not going to make it, of, of overcoming uh, obstacles. You know, this is what this movie was about, overcoming an obstacle. You know, one of the, one, a really good line from this movie, a really good line that, that kind of resonates uh, with me, and I'm sure it resonated with a lot of people, Uh, was what his brother told him uh, during one of the flashbacks, something along the lines of a minute of pain equals to a lifetime of 
of happiness or a, a lifetime of, of bliss, uh, you know, something along those lines. That, I mean, that was true. I mean, hell, I mean, for now on, if I ever had to deal with this something, I mean, I'm not, com- you know, going to compare anything, any of my future obstacles to what he has gone through. But I will keep that in mind because that is that is definitely something to uh, to you know to keep in the back of your head whenever you have something an obstacle to face, um, especially an obstacle to of the size and magnitude that uh, that he had to face during World War II. But again, you needed to have the torture. You needed to have the graphic, uh, just just the violence that that went on in the movie for the character, and also because it actually really happened. I mean, there have been many movies where the movie wasn't violent enough, where the story called for more violent or more shots of pain and torture to really drive the message through to, like, you know, hey, you know, this is something. I mean, you don't watch Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List and complain of the violence or you know, uh, or, or, or a mother or father, you know, smothering their baby to keep them quiet while the Nazi, while they're hiding from the Nazis, you know, so the baby doesn't give their position away. But then again, my complaints, I thought the, the beginning of the movie was a little hammy, but it was saved by the remaining two hours. So the first 30 minutes of the movie, when you have to go through the flashbacks, I thought the flashbacks were a little hammy. I thought some of the actors were poorly cast and uh, I thought it could have been handled a little, little differently. And the transition between the past and the present, or the past and you know the you know uh, of, of him in wartime, uh, was a little. I, I don't know if it was forced. The transitions just didn't make any sense. It looked like they were trying to blend it somehow, but it just didn't work. There needed to be more of a smoother transition, a better blend between the past and the present wartime, so the movie would have a better flow to it. And I thought that this was an amazing story that should have played out more organically than how it did. Um, at times it felt like it was either a little overwritten or a little overdirected. Again, it could have been because she was so connected with the material that she was trying to to stay as close to what, what actually happened to him and not try to take too many liberties. But I think with that, um, she... You know, like, like, like she kind of lost track of of the audience, the audience's attention uh, from time to time. And I also thought that some of the shots and moments during the movie, especially during the camp scenes, they begin to become uh, slightly repetitive. Like, oh, okay, well, that happened at the other camp. Oh, well, this happened. And it's not like completely repetitive, but it was enough for me to be like, okay, well, there could have there could have been a, another way she could have shot this. So it wasn't exactly like you know, the other encounter these two people have and the, the you know, the the other encounter before that those two people had, you know, just to kind of keep the movie more interesting and more attention holding. Um, but with that, it's a very good movie. I give this one 3.75 out of 5. I was pleasantly pleased. So, where do you want to go from here, sir? How about... The Interview. The Interview. All right. So I know no one is familiar with this movie, right? <clears throat> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Of course, 2014 political satire. Uh, directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And, of course, stars Seth Rogen and James Franco. And uh, Asian Jim from The Office. <clears throat> I um 
All right, so basically, let's see. James Franco plays a guy by the name of Dave Skylark. He's the host of Skylark Tonight, which is a media talk show program, kind of like a cross between Oprah and... Uh, well, no, no, maybe not Oprah, like a Barbara Walters special from back in the day, and Larry King, kind of a setup. And and so he's not taken very seriously outside of the entertainment world and the, the, the tabloid world of Hollywood. His producer is played by Seth Rogen, and they find out that... Kim Jong-un is actually a fan of Dave Skylark and Skylark Tonight. So they use this opportunity to actually build some street cred in the real journalistic community to go and interview Kim Jong-un, at which point the CIA says, hey, can you go ahead and kill him for us? And hijinks ensue. Now, I watched this movie with friends and family over at my place, and we did it with the with the YouTube and all that good stuff. Um, so we had a lot of laughs. This, they're, they're naturally in a group setting where everybody's having a good time. Uh, lots of gags and the stupid toilet humor um, and jokes at Kim Jong-un's expense, and of course even Seth Rogen's ex- expense with the huge dildo-sized butt plug thing that he has to hide up his ass and everything. So there's there's laughs to be had. And I would say there was a good number of them throughout. Unfortunately, it's just... It's everything you would expect from a uh, Seth Rogen vehicle. And outside of those laughs, there's just not much of a movie to be had. Um... It's outrageous, um, and I don't know. I, I thought it was better than okay, and even though I laughed at it in a group setting, the movie, really just watch it with a group. If you're going to watch it, watch it with a group. If you're sitting there on your own, you're probably not going to like it very much. Uh, me, 2.75. A little bit better than okay, not quite liked it, but there were some things that I liked and laughed at. Yeah, uh, pretty much the same thing with me, 2.75. Overall, I thought this was a super sloppy movie due to the film's two newbie-ish directors, which are Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Their first direct, I guess their directorial debut was with This Is The End. And This Is The End, I rewatched it recently, and I gotta say it wasn't as good as the first time I watched it. But that movie is awfully sloppy. But what saves that movie, and what makes that movie pretty enjoyable and pretty funny and memorable, was the ensemble cast. And how effortlessly the movie could be funny the majority of the time, without it feeling forced down your throat. This movie didn't have the luxury of having such a great ensemble cast. However, this movie did have the luxury of having James Franco pretty much as its only lead. That's worth really mentioning. Because I gotta say, I'm kind of getting sick of of Seth Rogen playing the guy who unexpectedly kicks ass at the end of a movie. You know, he's like, oh my god, I can't believe I just shot that guy. Oh yeah, man, I'm a badass. You know, as he's narrating how he's kicking ass. I mean, there are so many movies where he does that. 
and it is just so fucking repetitive. It's a little annoying. Um, this movie has really crappy blue screen effects. It was just absolutely horrible. It should have been more of a straight satire than a than a, a run through of moti- motifs and gross out comedy. Um, and and I say that I think it could have worked as more of a straight satire. Uh, well, obviously, I mean a, a comedy, a comedic satire, is because the last thirty minutes of the movie to me is worth the five ninety nine to spend on seeing it on uh, on on YouTube or on iTunes now, or Xbox, PlayStation, or even on Google Play. Because the last 30 minutes of the movie is actually well-made, for the most part. Like, when the actual interview takes place, I thought James Franco did a really good job. I thought the guy who played Kim Jong-un did a really good job. And it had great tension, and it had a nice little build-up to an ending that just was pretty much, you know, just got wasted. You know, like, it... You can tell that the movie had to go back and rework a lot of the shots and rework some of the editing due to the graphic nature of what happens at the end of the movie. So pretty much the movie just uh, amounts to, uh, to to kind of a disappointment. But overall, I thought this was a sloppy movie. I did like some of the gags, though. They are mainly the ongoing jokes. Uh, that were pretty funny, like, you know, margaritas are gay, there's, like, an ongoing joke with that, the Katy Perry ongoing stuff about how Kim Jong-un likes Katy Perry and all that stuff, and uh, James Franco and Un bond over that, and, you know, that was pretty funny. But again, overall, the movie was sloppy, it had a lot of forced laughs, although I enjoyed it more so than I thought, and I enjoyed it more so because I watched it from the comfort of my own home. Uh, so I give this one 2.75 as well. Yay! All right, so we got two left. What do you want to do? Do you want to save the best for last or the other one? Um, if you mean by sarcastically the best for last, then yes, we could save that one for last. If you mean like legitimately best for last, then I'm okay with that too. How about the imitation game? Okay, so sarcastically, best for last. Imitation Game. 2014 historical thriller film. This one here is about Alan Turing. Now, um, Alan Turing is basically the guy credited with what we know today as the computer. Now, he also was the guy that ostensibly cracked the Enigma Code in World War II. And he... Also, for those tech people of today, is responsible for the Turing test. Now, the Turing test is what determines artificial intelligence and the levels thereof. This guy was also basically put to uh, the moral version of stoning back in the 50s because he was gay. And it cost him his career, his livelihood, um, any chance at lasting uh, academic success, mathematic success, and ultimately his life. And this movie goes through uh, basically his early years. They touch a little bit about boarding school and stuff, but primarily focuses on his uh, work in breaking the Enigma Code. And everything that went into that, and the friendships that he that he made, um, a little bit 
liberal, uh, I, I guess, I don't what, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, license. There we go. Well, license was definitely uh, used here in terms of his relations with uh, Karen Knightley's character, but that's how you that's how you tell a story in Hollywood. So fine. Um, this one, whereas Unbroken had good acting and everything, this has great acting. Okay, the, you know, uh, th- there you can clearly see the difference here. Um, the writing, I thought, aside from where they were appropriately making a a a deal and spectacle of Turing's homosexuality and how that played out with uh, Keira Knightley's character of Clark, the writing there, I but I felt it was still by way of shining that light on it, kind of made it a little bit more melodramatic than thriller-esque, because the thriller-esque stuff is more tied to the Enigma Code. But they do go on to discuss uh, his his conviction for gross indecency. So, I mean, that does play a very big part of it as well. This writing felt a little bit more melodramatic. I think with, as compared to like Unbroken's writing that Tim has been referring to, where that, I felt, was kind of helped and hurt by the Coen brothers being involved on the screenplay here. I think this one um, was done more for sheer dramatic effect. Uh, This one was written by Graham Moore. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, playing Alan Turing. And as I've mentioned now for like the fourth time, Karen Knightley <laughs> is playing Joan Clark. Um, all that being said, this is still, the story is so worth knowing um, and so worth telling and done very expertly, I felt, uh, in terms of the story and the writing. I thought that cinematography, the cinematography and I thought the directing, uh, the that getting that view to us um nothing outstanding for me but definitely nothing subpar or not i mean everything was just perfectly fine in that regard but for the story for the acting and even and what really hurts it for me it was a little bit of the melodrama in the writing still four and a half stars definitely go see this movie if you haven't yet this is definitely one of the best films of 2014 i thought I really enjoyed it. The way it was shot, the acting, the ensemble cast. Um, I don't know about you, Matt, but I feel I felt like this movie definitely has a lot of replay value to it because it has a, a, a nice little wit to it because it's not a straight drama because it's it's also a thriller. It's also a a, a very a, 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 not necessarily a romance, maybe a depressing romance, perhaps. Because I don't want to really lead anybody astray by saying this is a lovely romantic film. Because it's really not. But there's there's a lot of levels to this movie in the genre department. And it makes it fascinating and fun to watch. And on top of that, it's history and it's entertaining. And this is a man that was virtually forgotten up until... Uh, I mean, do you remember what year like all, all this actually came out officially? I want to say probably about 2008-ish. Because I think they vacated everything back in 2012. They, like they vacated his 
his conviction and um gave him posthumous honors for his work in World War II, and I believe that all happened in 2012. So I think that it was probably about 2008 that it really started gaining steam and traction. That is a long freaking time. <laughs> 56 years! Yeah, 56 <laughs> freaking years, and it's 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 fascinating. And I liked how it the movie played out organically, you know, unlike what I, uh, when we were talking about Unbroken, which I thought the movie could have played out more organically than... Uh, than it was than it uh, than did i thought this movie definitely played out uh organically it was original it didn't uh there was hardly any overstepping from behind the camera everything felt authentic and natural you know the performances the interactions between the characters the writing everything just felt natural and it was kind of refreshing to watch and again this also uh, leads into you know the the replay factor of the movie. Like I will go watch this movie again because it doesn't feel like there's a message being forced down my throat. I can actually enjoy it. However, there is a tiny flaw I found with this movie, or uh, you know that it didn't bother me obviously, but there is definitely a flaw there. And I am very nitpicky, so I apologize if this is a nitpicky thing for some people or annoyingly nitpicky thing for some people. But I think this is a five-star uh, movie for people that, you know, just like, just go, go, go to the movies just to watch the movie and enjoy it. This is a 4.75-star movie because I thought the movie was very nuanced, but I even felt the nuance, that w- what was nuanced, or what, was, what I felt was very nuanced, some of it felt rushed. Uh, and with that, Alan Turing, his character doesn't he he comes across as melodramatic at times rather than a multi-dimensional non-singular you know genius the genius that he was and what ultimately led to his you know what leads to what happens to him at the end of the movie it again it feels a little bit one note rather than a lot of other stuff that what was going on the movie kind of focuses on one or two, two, two aspects of his life where I felt it could have been a little bit broader. Uh, but with that, with what the movie is, I still thought it was rather enjoyable. So 4.75 out of 5 for me. Right on. Okay, well then that brings us to the best movie ever. Yay. Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies. The conclusion to the made-up extra bonus features for the hobbit look so you don't have to wait for the extended cut they gave you the hobbit the extended cut yeah all right um basically this one picks up from the death of smog um to the conclusion of the hobbit's story and did you mean smog Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Smaug. Great and mighty Smaug. Oh, powerful Smaug. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't get it. Okay. I didn't get it. I, I, I understood what was going on with all the love for the, for the Lord of the Rings and everything. Um, I'd never really been into fantasy much up to that point. I had read The Hobbit, never really could get through the Lord of the Rings books. Um, but I, I watched the trilogy. I thought that they got better as they went along and everything. That's fine. 
This one for me, I knew there was going to be trouble when the first movie comes out, and I'm like, by the end of it, I'm like, aren't they like more than halfway through the book? By this point, even with all the extra shit that they've thrown in, and my buddies are telling me, oh yeah, they're definitely more than halfway through the book. They're like almost two-thirds of the way through the book. I was like, okay, so then how the hell are we getting two extra movies out of this? And how do you do it? By just throwing everything. You know, they, they literally tried to get Viggo Mortensen to come back. And he's like, you do realize that The Hobbit takes place 60 years before Lord of the Rings. You understand that, right? So... <clears throat> That's the that's pretty much the only reason why you don't see him there is because he actually read the books. You you've got people in here uh, who don't exist. Uh, you've got people in here like Orlando Bloom who have clearly aged almost twenty fucking years, and yet they're trying to make them look sixty years younger than the last time you saw them. The pancake makeup there. There's not enough pancake makeup to do it. You may as well have just plugged CGI all over them so that you could age them, you could reverse age them. Why not? You did CGI for everything fucking else. It just, this is literally, I'm sorry, I just, it wasn't, like, the action was great and I was still falling asleep when there was an action. And I went to an 8 o'clock show, so I mean, or a 7 o'clock show, so this is not like I was, I'm sorry, I just, this movie, I'm just glad it's done, it eked out, I mean, literally for me, it just eked out three stars, I'm just so that people won't crucify me, three stars, I'm really done, Uh, and I'm glad that they're not doing any more. And if I were in charge of Tolkien's estate, I wouldn't let anybody near this shit with a 10-foot pole ever again. (laughs) Well, I think you're in luck. Uh, See, okay, so I was on Peter Jackson's side uh, during the making of The Hobbit, during the announcement that, oh, they were going to make it into three movies. I defended him when the first one came out. I defended him when Desolation of Smaug came out, which I actually really liked. Desolation of Smaug. That one's actually my favorite of these three movies. But I f- must first note that I am a big fan of Lord of the Rings, the or the you know the original trilogy. I guess those to me are fantastic films. I love them. I can rewatch them anytime. They're really really good movies. I'm definitely in that camp. So I am a fan of these movies. Now. Peter Jackson wanted to, you know, give the fans the complete package. They, you know, the complete, tell the complete story. So he took uh, the Similarion <laughs> book. He took a lot of notes from Tolkien's diaries and journals. Uh, and it turned out that Tolkien, uh, before he, well, after, you know, before he passed away, he was planning on going back and uh, adding more to The Hobbit and releasing it as a trilogy than... You know, it's original 600, 700-ish page book. You know, he wanted it to be more like The Lord of the Rings because he felt there was more of a story to be told. That's why there are these journals, there are these notes, there is the Similarion book, and all that jazz. But what gets me is that when you watch the first Hobbit movie, it starts off one way. Then when you get to the Battle of the Five Armies, the movie ends... A different way. The movie starts off with Bilbo Baggins. The trilogy starts off with Bilbo Baggins telling Frogo, Frogo, Frodo Baggins, 
Froyo Baggins, <laughs> the story of his journey. And the movie doesn't end with him finishing the story of his journey that he was telling to Frodo Baggins. So you can there's you can distinctly tell that Peter Jackson was starting in one direction and then he takes a sharp right and veers off in that direction. And to me, that is super evident and super clear when you watch Battle of the Five Armies. The first two movies are definitely adventure flicks. There's a story there. There's build-up to it. It feels like a movie. Battle of the Five Armies, what is it? It's just people running around, people yelling, people accusing each other. You know, it starts off pretty good, you know, but there, I don't know, there's there's so much ham inside of cheese that for, for me to really handle. Um, there's a lot of stuff I was impressed with. Uh, I liked Orlando Bloom in this movie. His makeup didn't bother me as much as Matt or, or uh, as, as you know, a lot of other people uh, didn't like his makeup. They thought he looked obviously too old. It didn't bother me as much. But what got me was the storytelling. Was the including of characters that weren't supposed to be there. It was the inclusion of a love story that should not have been there. And it just pisses me, and it kind of pretty much pissed me off. And it does still kind of piss me off. Because you have a war movie and a movie that doesn't really end. You know, there's really no, like, pleasant ending to this trilogy. I mean, you kind of go away from the story of Bilbo to tell this big, other big, huge story. Well, that kind of takes away from what you're supposed to be feeling towards Bilbo. You know, you're supposed to, you know, he's he's you're supposed to watch him and be with him as he slowly turns into this older man who has the secret past, who has this inner demon that is being, you know, that he's being possessed by this ring every day. So that's why he becomes, you know, the, this kind of like creature almost. You know, you, there's no, you don't really follow him down that path because the movie does you know make you oh hey look there's a love story let's well we have to build this love story up for three movies or two movies or whatever oh well this is going on this other overarching story has to be explained oh well okay well let's throw in a, a the battle of five armies which is all cg cgi believe it or not billy Connolly is kind of in this movie I would be surprised if you actually see his real face in this movie, and if it was not CGI, it the movie just bothered me. All these movies bother me because it was all blue screen. It was all special effects. It's difficult to tell what was special effects and what was shot actually on a set because it all looked CGI. Nothing looked real, and that was a part of the charm. And that's a part of that's what makes um, the Lord of the Rings films, the original movies stand the test of time because they're not all cgi the cgi uh you know is is like accompanies accompanies the story and accompanies the action of the movie the story that is being told these movies are just all theatrics it's all special effects it's all cgi and it's obvious why because peter jackson took this trilogy and veered off to the right and you lose sight and it feels like he lost sight of the original story that Tolkien was trying to tell. And that is of Bilbo Baggins. So there is no comfort when it comes to the ending of this movie. Uh, now, and the last thing I'll mention is something that will 
piss a lot of people off, uh, and I'm sure you too, Matt, if you don't already know this, that a lot of people have the same complaints. And and Peter Jackson came out and explained that these three movies, he didn't look at them as three separate movies. He looked at all three of these movies as one giant uh, seven, eight-hour film. So where I was looking for an overarching story or, you know, something that made a lick of sense as to characterization and pacing or tone is because I was watching a third of a seven and a half, eight hour long movie. The Lord of the Rings wasn't like that. Yes, you could look at it that way, but each movie is unique on its own. Each movie has a distinct, uh, distinctly, distinctly different pace than the other, you know, there's lore, there's the first, a Fellowship of the Ring, it's the beginning of the journey, you're going on a journey, the second one, Two Towers, it's more creepy, dark, brooding, scary, and Return of the King is the end of the chapter, it's the epic conclusion, and you don't get that with The Hobbit, and it's annoying. On top of that, Evangeline Lily, whatever her name is, she is one of the new characters in this, in this, in the story. Well, he's even talking about bringing her in and reshooting some shots that he can put into the original Lord of the Rings films, just so that her character will be in the Lord of the Rings movies. And so, apparently, it will all make sense. Because that totally makes sense, right? Not really. Well, no, wait, it worked with Jabba the Hutt, and when they went back and did the special editions of the originals... So surely they could do that here, right? When it worked so well with Star Wars, it'll work for Lord of the Rings. That totally doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and even with saying that, I give this movie three stars because I love the story. I love the the world. You know, and, and with that, I definitely enjoyed, enjoyed this movie for what it was. Uh, seeing it in IMAX 3D definitely helped. But, you know, it, it was still a disappointment. And, yeah, I cry, I've cry. i cried Indian tears as I left that theater. So, three stars for me. Okay, well, that leaves us with the movies for next week, which are going to be Into the Woods, Inherent Vice, and Big Eyes. So... I believe that that concludes yet another episode of the SLS cast. Shall we do the spe- spiel, sir? Sp- spiel on. <laughs> All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we, of course, are the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at SLScast.com. You can even, well... Send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, of course, on Twitter at nittwit12345. You can search the magical super internet highway and try and find Tim on Twitter. You can even subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So... I guess until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Christian Bale, I get to say this. I only sound intelligent when there's a good scriptwriter around. 
And this is Tim saying, we'll be Shia LaBoofing your holes next week. <laughs> Along with the Jersey boy on boys. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.